Billy Graham going home to be with the Lord, um, I, I would just like to remind you of something. We have a unique opportunity as Christians to watch God use um, his doc to honor the Lord. And you're going to see in the past week, and you're going to see in the coming week, a number of people showing clips and talking about his life. And there's an opportunity for a world to hear the gospel one more time. And so I would encourage you to pray that God would use this as a time, not just in our country, but in our world, as they are broadcasting, and I'm watching liberal, liberal press not realizing as they're, they're showing clips of his sermons and talking about coming to Christ, and I'm watching the word of God going forth, and I just want to encourage you to pray that God would continue to use that in hearts, and even maybe in your own discussions with people as you have opportunities to talk to somebody and somebody talks about it and say, you know, what do you think about dying? What do you think about? Um, um, I saw a fascinating deal, uh, if you haven't seen it, the clip about the casket that was chosen, you know, um, and the story behind even the casket. And it's like, you know, this is, this is exactly what, what, a way to honor God, even in something as simple as the choice of a casket. So anyway, so I just want to say that that was free. All right, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10 this morning. <coughs> um, the book of Nehemiah, as we start to get closer and closer towards the end, what you have to realize is that the walls have been built, which is what Nehemiah went to, to, to Jerusalem to do. And the walls got up in 52 days, and it was incredible. And even the unsaved world, under the, the people around them stood back and said, you know, God had to do this. This was something incredible. And out the walls were built, the children of Israel had to get serious about serving God. And so we've talked about how in chapter 7 it was a transition. And so the first part of the book deals with building the walls, the external kind of stuff. And from chapter 7 on, it deals with the internal, the lives of the children of Israel. And we talked about how they sat back and they started focusing on the Word of God. And as they focused on the Word of God, they started realizing areas of their life that needed to be changed. And so I talked about last week, and this is where we're going to pick it up, in Nehemiah chapter 9, the last verse, and I'm going to have them put it up on the screen. Here's what it says. And it's a great transition into chapter 10. It says, and because of all this, they're talking about all the reading of the word of God that they had been doing. We made a sure covenant and write it. Um, our leaders, um, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Now the, those, and we come to chapter 10, now those who placed their seal in the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah, and Sarona, and Eric. now it's going to go through the thing, and this whole list, this is, these were the priests. What you need to understand is the leaders of Israel at that time, and, and what's going to happen is, if you go through now the rest of the chapter, chapter 10, you're going to see names from verse 2 all the way to verse 27. And what it is, is it's, it's groups of people that sealed this covenant. Um, and the, like I say, these were the first leaders. You go, well, how, whatever happened to Ezra? Ezra is actually underneath one of these other names um, because... Those of you who are here Wednesday night, we were talking about this. The patriarch idea, the patriarch was not Ezra. It was, Ezra it, was, it was the patriarch of the family. He's the one that's listed, not Ezra. And so anyway, um, <clears throat> what happens is it now goes through this list. So it lists, it lists Nehemiah and it lists Zedekiah. And then it goes through and it lists the, the, the priests. And then it's going to list a group of Levites. And then it's going to list a group of civic leaders. And then it's going to list a group of family leaders. So it's all of these people that made this covenant. And like I said last week, a covenant was a very serious deal in the, in the life of the children of Israel. 
Literally, the idea of covenant comes from the word that means to cut. And so the idea is they would take an animal and they would cut it in half. They would then make a covenant between the two halves of that animal. And what they were saying was, if, if we fail to do this, if we fail to keep our part of the bargain, God, and in this case, the covenant was with God, if we fail to keep our part of the bargain, God, then you take our lives. We should be as this animal that's now cut in half. So people did not enter into a covenant lightly. It was something that was very, very serious. And so when, when the children of Israel come to all of this and they put all of this together and they go, you know what, you know what, guys, we're going to make a covenant and we're going to change things that we've been doing from this point on. This is our line in the sand. Until, up until now, we've been doing it this way. Here's our line in the sand. God, from this point on, this is the deal we're making with you. This is the covenant. If we don't keep our part, you take our lives. You don't do what you've been doing with Israel and play this game of, you know, okay, you know, you sent them into captivity and then you delivered them and then you gave them another chance. No, we're, we're all in on this. So if we fail, you just take us out. That's the deal we're making with you at this point. And notice, um, so I'm going to jump down. So you have all these people that signed it and then I, we're going to get into the covenant this morning. We're going to understand what it was they wanted to change because that's where the application helps us. So after we get through all the names, here we come to verse 28. Notice what it says. Um, Let's see, or 29. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinance and his statutes. What Israel said is they came together and they said, okay, from this point on, guys, here's what we're going to do. Whatever God said, now remember, they only have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They've got five books of the Bible they're going off of at this point in history. They said, whatever God says in those books, that's what we're going to do. Doesn't matter what culture's doing. Doesn't matter what we think. Doesn't matter how, if God said this is what to do, then that's what we're going to do. And they said, our, and this is, this is going to help us as we get to the end here. They said, our standard's going to be God's law. That's going to be our final authority. That's how we're going to decide from this point on what we do and what we don't do. And so they pick a couple of key areas that they're really going to focus on. And that's where it starts down in the next verse, verse 30. Here's what it says. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the lands, nor take daughters for our sons. They said, one of the first things that we're going to look at is we're going to look at our marriages. And they said, we're going to take a look at our families, and we're going to go back to our families, and we're going to implement this idea that we are not going to marry outside of our Jewish faith. Now, that's an important concept, because in Ezra chapter 10, the people had done that, and it had hurt Israel. And Israel had a habit. When, when Israel went into the promised land, one of the things that God told them in the first five books of the Bible was, don't do this. This is not a good thing. And so they set up a thing and they said, okay, as far as our families go, here's the deal. We are only going to marry people within our own faith. We are going to take a stand, and if they're not a Jew, then we're not going to marry them. If they're not an Israelite, then it's not. It doesn't matter how beautiful they were. It didn't matter how much money they had. It didn't matter what kind of family they were from. It didn't matter if they were a good person or a bad person. If they weren't Jewish, then we will not allow them to be married, period. Now listen, let me, let me just, I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail, and then I'm back, okay? I cannot stress this enough, those of you who are dating. I fail to understand how you can look at a person and say, I love you, but we will disagree 
on issues of eternity. I fail to understand how you can say, you know what, I want to be with that person forever, but I understand that just because they're not a Christian, they're going to be, spend eternity apart from God, and I'm going to spend a Christian eternity with God. But let's go ahead and be together for this short amount of time. You have two different value systems completely. You have two different worldviews completely. You need to set as a standard the same thing Israel did, where you set as a standard and say, you know what, if they're not a Christian, it's out. I never, ever had to deal with, should I marry a non-Christian? You know why? Because I never dated anybody who wasn't a non-Christian. That was never an issue for me. It was never an issue of, you know, well, could it, should I marry this person? I never got emotionally involved. I never got any, because why? Because if they weren't a Christian, they weren't there. My boys could tell you, when they came home and said, hey, Dad, I met a girl. You know what the first question was? Every time, what was the first question? Is she a Christian? Because if the answer to that was no, we were going to have a very long discussion. Okay? Because that, because I realized how important that was. And so I, I want to stress to you, what Israel did was they said, you know what? Because here's what happened. What Israel had done is they had said, you know what? We will go ahead and marry people outside in hopes that we will influence them. And you know what happens in all those situations? They influence you. And you go, no, 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 they won't. I'm stronger than, than that. No, 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 no. You need to understand the fact that you're dating them tells me they've already influenced you. The fact that you're willing to get in a relationship with them tells me they've already had a bigger influence on you than you have of them. And Israel stood and they draw a line. And they said, you know what? From this point on, God, we are going to stay within our own faith system here. Then they go on to the next state. And they say, you know what? We're going to do our business different too. Notice what it says, verse 31. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the seventh year's produce and extracting of every debt. Okay, you need to talk about this for a minute. Because in the Old Testament, it taught this principle of the Sabbath. And here's what the Sabbath basically said. It said that you work six days and you rest for one. There's a principle. Um, the principle comes down to one-seventh of your time was devoted to God. You took seven days and you said, you know what? Out of those seven days, I'm going to take one and I'm going to focus on God for one of those seven days every week. In the case of the children of Israel, it was a Sabbath, which is Saturday, not Sunday. But in the case of the children of Israel, it was a Saturday. And so they, they, the children of Israel went back and said, you know what? From this point on, we're going to implement the Sabbath again. And we're going to take off one day. Every, we're not going to do any business. We're not going to buy anything that day. We're not going to sell anything that day. We are not going to do business at all on that day. And then they took it one step further. They said, we're going to employ again the seven-year Sabbath principle. Here's what the seven-year Sabbath principle said. Every seven years as a farmer, you did not farm your ground. You would farm for six years, and then you would take off for an entire year. You would not do anything to your ground. You would let it remain for, for that entire year. And we're going to implement the seven-year Sabbath principle when it comes to debt, which said that at the end of seven years, on the seventh-year Sabbath principle, what that meant was, when that year came, anybody, any Jewish person who owed me money, we were done. They didn't owe me anything else from this point on. So the longest loan you could have as a Jew was seven years. There was no such thing as like a 10, 20, 30-year loan. Um, so that, that's the way they would implement it. And so they said at the end of seven years, 
on that seven-year Sabbath principle, then whoever owes me money, I'm forgiving all of their debt, and we're, we're debt, they're debt-free to me. Now, I want you to stop, and I want you to think about this for a minute. Is that good business sense? <laughs> it's the dumbest thing in the world you could do, business-wise, right? But you see, God was trying to teach the children of Israel a far bigger principle, and we're going to talk about this at the end. But the principle comes down to this. God can do less. God can do with less better than you can do with more. In other words, the issue is, would they trust God? Would they trust God to go, you know what, for six years we're going to farm, and for the seventh year, I mean, you think about it for a minute. Everybody, all your, what are all your neighbors saying? Oh, they're lazy, they just don't want to farm, da, da, da. But that was your way of acknowledging that God was in control of, of your business. That was your way of acknowledging that, you know what, God will take care of you. That you could work six years and not have to, by the way, that's the whole Sabbath principle in a nutshell anyway. That you can work six days and accomplish more in six days than you would, you can, you can, you can accomplish more in six days of working and one day worshiping God than you could in seven days of working. That's what it says. That, that, that's the trust principle. That's the trust idea. That's God said, look, I worked six days creating the world, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He took one day to step aside and focus and enjoy that which he had created. And there's a principle. God said, look, I've designed you to work that way. You want to go outside of that and depend on yourself to work seven days, you know, every week, 52 weeks a year? Okay. And, and you know, those of you who've done it, what happens? You burn out. You know why? You were never designed to work like that. Never. And you can, you can get far more accomplished when you go, okay, you know what, I'm going to trust God that, you know what, I acknowledge that I can't get it all done in seven days. And so I'm just going to trust God here. You're here this morning, so it tells me that you acknowledge that in some form, and that's awesome, okay? And I understand some of you are in careers and fields where, you know, it, it demands that. I, this idea, though, of taking a day off, of setting a day aside is very, very important, okay, and acknowledging God in it. We'll talk more about that in a second. Then he goes on. Notice what they do next. Verse uh, 32. Uh, it says, we also made an ordinance for ourselves to extract ourselves yearly one-third shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbath, the new moons and the set feast and the holy things and the sin offerings and atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, but the Levite and the Levites and the people for bringing wood offering into the house of our God according to our father's houses in appointed times of the year to burn and to, on the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. Here's what's interesting. The Old Testament, we're going to talk about this in a second, the Old Testament set up things that they had to do as far as giving and things like that. This is not in there. This is something they set up on their own. They step back and they realize, you know what? We've got to be able to take care of the house of God. We've got to be able to take care of the grain offerings. We, somebody's got to go provide the wood. And they said, you know what? Let's just voluntarily, we're going to take this on on ourselves. We're going to do a third shekel tax to everybody every year. That'll take care of some of the incidental stuff. And then... We're going to divide it up so that some guys have to bring wood certain times of the year so we can keep the altars going. They said, we're going to do this on our own. This was not in the Old Testament. You know what it says right up there? We made these ordinances for ourselves. They were not anything that was, was mentioned in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. These were things they set back and said, you know what? We realize this is a legitimate need, and we can take care of it, so we're going to commit ourselves to take care of it regarding their worship. So they stepped back and they said, you know what, what do we need to be able to worship in a right way? Okay, we need these things, so let's implement these things in our life. 
Then they go to the things that were required in the Old Testament. And notice what it says um, in the next uh, passage, verse 35. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as is written in the law, the firstborn of our, heart, of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priest who minister to the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, our fruit, all kinds of trees, dew wine, and oil to the priest and to the storerooms of the house of God, and to bring the tithes of our lands to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all of our farming communities. They set it up and they said, you know what, here's what's going to happen. We're going to do two things with regards to our money. So they talked about the idea of their marriages, they talked about the idea of their business, they talked about the idea of their worship, and they talked about the idea of their money, and they implemented two principles that were taught in Genesis, to, to, to Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. <clears throat> the first one was the law of the first fruits. Here's what it said. The law of the first fruits said the first thing that comes in goes to God. That's what it said. You got a firstborn son, dedicate him to God. You got a firstborn cattle, dedicate it to God. You got firstborn, I hate to use this illustration, but I, I'm, it, it works. You know what it's like to get the first tomato of the year? I bought a tomato at the store the other day. Just wasn't the same as going out to my garden and picking one. You know what it's like to get the first pepper, the first cucumber? Because you have worked all year, all season, to get that first one. And that first one is so, you've looked forward to it for so long. In the Old Testament, what you did was you took that first one that you would have enjoyed so much, that you have looked forward to for so long, and you gave it to God acknowledging a couple of things. Acknowledging, first of all, that everything you get from this point on really is God's, but you have been entrusted with this, and you want to thank God for what he has provided to this point. There was also an element of trust, because here's the thing. What happens if you get a hailstorm the next day? You didn't even get to enjoy the first one, did you? So there was this idea of, God, I'm trusting you with this, that you're going to continue to provide for the rest of the season. There was that element of trust that was involved. It was that element of acknowledging that, God, this is yours. And then they implemented this idea of a tenth. You've heard it, some of you have heard it throughout your church background as a tithe, okay? And it's the idea of they brought in 10%, uh, one-tenth. So they would take, and if they had a, a crop of uh, 300 tomatoes, they'd bring 30 to the, to the temple. Um, if they had a crop then of, of you know, even down to mint, when they would harvest mint. I mean, these people got so meticulous in the New Testament time that they would like, I mean, the mint, the aniseed. I don't know if you've ever seen how small these little seeds are. In the New Testament, it says that they were even tithing those things. I mean, it would be like you going to get, get salt at the store, a thing of salt, and pouring out one-tenth of it and bringing it to the tabernacle and saying, here, this is for God. And so, and, and Jesus, actually, when he, when, he, when he comes to the earth, and he's in his ministry, one of the things that he says is, you tied the mint and yes, he you do well, but you're missing the big stuff. Justice and love and mercy. You're, you're, you've forgotten those things. Great that you're doing this, but you're missing the whole picture here. And then the New Testament, he goes, well, it's tithing in the New Testament. I, personally, I don't see tithing mentioned as far as a principle in the New Testament. I think the standard's higher. And I think the New Testament principle is this. We give as God has blessed and honored us. Now, as a church, you should know, we believe 
in at least for us 10%. Everything that comes into this church, 10% of it goes elsewhere. We, we, if you want to say we tie 10% in emissions, then that's what we do. But everything comes in. So that was a big issue when we built this building. We didn't set up a building fund and say, okay, money goes to building fund and money goes to the general fund. No, no, no. Everything that came in, even every dime of this thing went to, to the general fund. And out of everything out of the general fund, we took 10% off and said we're going to spend it on missions. And that's important to us because the idea of tithing, the idea of giving away was an acknowledgement of the fact that we don't own it anyway. Uh, the problem with tithing is some people get this concept that, okay, I give God 10% and 90% is mine. No, l- let me explain this to you. God owns it all. Everybody say, well, I'm just so afraid to give to God because, like, you know, you know, he might take it from me. Time out. If he wants it, he's going to take it. Okay? You know, this whole idea of giving, and you go, okay, you know, well, you know, the church funds must be low because you're talking about money. I'm talking about money because we're in Nehemiah chapter 10, and Nehemiah chapter 10 talks about money. Okay? That's the only reason I'm talking about money. Okay? I'm not going to skip it and go, oh, we just don't talk about that here. Um, no, we do the whole Bible, and so when they talk about it, we talk about it. And, and, and everybody's like, oh, look, I don't care where you give. The Bible principle is give. The Bible principle is be generous. The Bible, as we talked about in Sunday school, the Bible principle is be rich towards things of God. Invest your life, invest your time, invest your money, invest your resources, invest your gift in things that will far outlast you that have an eternal nature to their value. That's the important principle here. And Israel stepped back and they said, you know what? We messed up a lot of things, but we're going to get some things in line. We're going to get some things in line with our families. We're going to get some things in line with our business. We're going to get some things in line with our worship. We're going to get some things in line with our money. And God, we're making this covenant for you. If we don't do this, God, you just take us out. We're that serious about it. So with that in mind, let's talk about a couple of principles. Um, things that will kind of help us as we, uh, as we head throughout the week. Here's the first one. Um, first one is this idea of this. You have to decide what the authority is going to be in your life. Okay? And you need to decide whether it's going to be you, or whether it's going to be culture, or whether it's going to be the Word of God, the teachings of Christ. You need to decide what's going to be the authority. What's going to decide what's right or wrong for you? Kids, you are in a world right now where you're taught there is no such thing as absolute truth. You're being taught that truth is something that varies back and forth, that truth adjusts to the culture of the time. You're taught that you should listen to the culture, that the culture should determine what is right or wrong. Let me challenge you with that for a moment. Because if you look at history, and if you say the culture should determine what's right or wrong, then you actually have to say Hitler was okay with what he did. Because the culture of his day said, let's get rid of Jewish people. You see, that's the problem with making truth relative, with making truth adjusting to culture. For me personally, I came to a decision a long time ago. My standard was going to be the Word of God. If this is what God said, whether I liked it, whether I agreed with it, whether I, I, I appreciated it, it didn't make any difference. If this is what God said, this is the way it should be. Period. We have a lot of churches that unfortunately are adjusting to the culture of the day. And you know what? They're going, to be, they're going to find themselves in trouble. Because as I look at the Bible, God's truth is absolute. 
It doesn't waver. It doesn't change. The applications may be different throughout different cultures and those kinds of things, but the truth is the same. And I think that as a believer, you have to get to the point that you say, you know what? If God says that I am to forgive my enemies, then it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how much they have hurt me. I have to forgive. I have to. I look at the Bible, and when the Bible tells me that I am not to be unequally yoked, what that means in my world is, I can't marry a person who's not a Christian, so you know what, let's put the fence a little farther back. If I don't date them, I'll never be faced with that choice. Because God's truth doesn't change. I mean, we're talking about something that's over 4,000 years old. The children of Israel said, hey, look, it's just smart to not go down this road because God says don't go down this road, so we're not going down this road. And I think it's important for us to step back and say, what, you go, well, it's just everybody. Let me tell you something. If you haven't figured this out yet, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Um, if you don't believe that, you, you, you know, I've, I've been watching this Waco thing, this Waco series, um, that's on about, about the history of everything and everything that went through there. It's scary to me. It's scary to me when I listen to him quote the scriptures. Because, by the way, um, he had memorized most of the New Testament. But he had twisted it and, and, and perverted it to the point that a bunch of people were willing to follow him even to death. So you can make the Bible say, but you have to be intellectually honest with it. And you have to look at it and say, okay, you know what? And here's my thing. Here's, here's just a kind of a quick little thing, okay? When somebody comes along and says, this is new revelation, here's what they're saying to you. For 2,000 to 4,000 years, people haven't known this, but now I know it. And to me, that's like red flags or a, or a, or a bumper on a pinball machine. Bing, 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 stay away. Okay? The old run, forest, run. You know, I mean, get out of there. Okay? Um, stay away from that kind of stuff. Because God has had his truth and revealed his truth for thousands of years. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you need something solid for, for that which is true. Second principle is this. One of the things that you see with Israel is this idea of, they said, we're willing to be different. In the old days, this was called separation, and it, and it kind of got a bad connotation of it, and, and people have bad experiences with it and associate with legalism, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Let me put it in this perspective. As Christians, as God's people, we are to be different. We think differently. We act differently. We don't act like the world. We don't think like the world. We think and act the way our Savior taught us to think and act because we call ourselves Christian, little Christ, one who is like Christ. I challenge you with this because we're in a culture which says if you want to reach people out there, you have to be like them. You've got to do what they do. Otherwise, they won't respect you. And I'm here to tell you, when you and I act like them, they don't respect us. And they don't want what we have. Why? Because we're acting like them. We, what do we have that's different from what they have? See? On the flip side of it, when we start to reflect Christ in a way, when, we, when, when somebody's telling the dirty joke at work and we're the one who walks away, or we're the one who, when we get upset with something, we don't lose our temper, 
Oh, we're the one who controls our tongue. Believe me, they notice. Believe me, people pay attention. When we start doing things in such a way that people start to see Christ in the way we do it, because we're different, we're not better. That's important to understand. We have to do it in a humble way. But we do it differently because of Christ, so that they can see Christ in us. That's why. Kids, hear me. You date differently than everybody else. I'll never forget when I was in college. Um, for some reason, my wife and I, we had met and we had broken up because she didn't realize what a treasure she had. Um, <clears throat> Got to say it. Uh, so anyway, so that summer we were dating different people and I was... I was in camp work that summer, and, and I, had dated, I had dated a girl. There was a rule at camp that you couldn't date until uh, the, the, the summer counseling season was, or summer camping season was over. So at the end of the season, I had to get permission to, to date her. And so i never forget, we went out, we, we went out and we had a date. And, and, um, and I just did what I'd been doing since I was 17 years old. And I said, well, before we start, let's have a word of prayer. And she starts bawling. You got to break it down crying. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great date. I can tell this is awesome. You know, I mean, we, you know, we haven't, you know, we haven't even, we haven't got the car to go anywhere yet, and she's already bawling like a baby. And I said, what in the world is going on? I never forget. She looked at me. and She said, you need to know, you're the first guy that has ever prayed with me on a date. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. She said, no, you're the first person that's ever done that. Why? Because, I'm not saying because we've been, that was a standard that I had set up a long time ago. Because that's what I had been taught, that's what had been instilled in me. And, and, and I want to challenge you because we do it differently. It, that, and that's important. We do our business differently. When everybody else is saying, well, you've got to do it this way because if you don't cut this corner, you won't be able to compete in the business world. No, 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 no. We honor God in the way we do our business. And if that means we tell the truth, even though it might hurt our business, then we tell the truth because telling the truth is what we're supposed to do. And you go, well, you don't understand. If I, if I did it that way, God, you know, my business would go south so fast. And, uh, really? So you're trusting your ability to keep your business solid? See, that's the whole idea of this, this, this Sabbath thing was who are you going to trust? Is it your responsibility to get all your stuff done every week? Or is it your responsibility to keep your business above water? Or is God at work in this thing? And that's what was so important, was they stepped back and they said, you know what, no, we're going to trust God in our business. And oh, does it make financial sense to not farm for, for a year? Although it doesn't make financial sense to let go of debt? By the way, think about it for a minute. If you knew that every seven years you had to forgive all debt, how much money would you loan out? Be a whole lot more careful with it, wouldn't you? And by the way, as I understand the law in the Old Testament, it didn't apply to pagan people. You ever wondered why Jewish people do as well as they do as a whole? I mean, you think it's all coincidence? See? I, I'm just here to tell you, when you and I sit back and we decide we're going to honor God, God honors those who honor him. Now, don't get tied up into this concept of this, you know, this whole mindset of, you know, oh, if I give God $10, he's going to increase it tenfold, so he'll give me 100 
Okay, I understand God increases tenfold, but it never says, if I give God ten, he'll give me a hundred. If I give God one car, he'll give me ten. Never says that. Okay, again, that's people making the Bible say what they want it to say. But the Bible, the Bible principle is that as we honor God, God, God does honor that. But we have to be very careful that we don't adapt the world's philosophy. Let me ask you a question. How do you define success? Do you define success as being happy in your life and things going well? That's how the world defines it. You know how God defines it? You be faithful to me no matter what. That's a big difference. Because that means when things are going tough, guess what? I'm still going to be faithful. Because I define success, why? I go to the Bible and say, okay, God, how do you define success? Want to know what I think the greatest, the greatest testimony that you could give Billy Graham today? Well done, good, and faithful servant. Faithful servant. You kept faithful to the end. You stayed faithful to the end. You never wavered. And I think that is ultimately what the goal for every one of us as a believer is, is that we're faithful that we kept faithful to God. It's the idea of that, that, that constant idea there of making sure that that's true in our lives. The last thing is this. It's really an issue of trust. You know what I see more than anything else in chapter 10? It's all about trust. It's all about trusting God in my marriage. That I'm going to honor God in my marriage. It's about trusting God in my business, that I'm going to honor God as I do my business, as I go through my life. It's about trusting God in my worship, that if I take out time and I come and I worship together with a group of people, that yes, there are 50 things I could be doing at home right now, but I'm going to trust God that those things will take care of themselves and that God will give me more time. Here's what I have personally learned, that God can do more with less than I can with more. I have had those weeks where you go, you know, don't you get up every Sunday and just want to be here? Are you new? (laughs) I get tired like you. I get exhausted like you. There are Sundays I have dragged myself in here, and I've sat in the back, and I've said, dear God, (laughs) if anything's going to happen today, it is all going to be you, because I'd be in bed if I had the chance, because I'm exhausted. And I'm tired, and, I'm, and I don't have the energy, so you're going to have to give me energy I don't have. Ask my family what happens when I go home every Sunday. Okay? It is like, I can sleep through Claire banging on stuff in the living room. You know, and the kids are like, you know, I can't believe it. She's making all this noise, and you were just out like a light. Because yeah, I was exhausted, because I'm starting to learn that the longer you do this, you, I don't have the energy I used to have. You go, you're a young guy. Well, it ain't, it ain't good. I'm just telling you, it ain't good. Because it's one of those things where, but just one of those deals where, you know what? It's trusting God that if I'm going to put, I'm going to put this forth that God's going to honor that. It's that idea of trusting God. And I cannot stress this enough. It's this idea of trusting God when it comes to even financial stuff. <sighs> there have been times in our life, in our marriage, that we were dirt poor. Now let me explain to you what dirt poor means. Dirt poor means that in our situation... Now, there was one point in our life where if you took everything that we owned, if you took everything that we owed, 
and you took our entire salary for a year and doubled it, we still wouldn't pay all the bills. There was a time when we depended on people in the church to drop off a sack of groceries at our front door so that we had groceries for the week. So I get it, okay? I get it. Don't bring groceries this week. We're doing fine, okay? Um, You know, (laughs) we're doing fine. (laughs) But I I say that because I want you to understand that even during times like this, there are times that we have put God first in our finances and there are times that we have not. And I'm here to tell you that during some of those times when we were dirt poor and we decided that we were going to go ahead and put God first and still give, the money that we had remaining went a lot farther than the times in our lives where we said, we're going to hold on to it so we can pay it all ourselves. I have learned the principle that God can do more when I... When, 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 how do, how do, tell me how I said that. God can do less. God can do more with less than I can with more. There you go. I've had a hard time getting this straight. But God can do more with less. You know, in my, in my world. I've watched it with my time. I've watched it with my resources. I've watched it with my talent and ability. I've watched it with my money. And I want to challenge you. You go, it's about giving here. No, don't, don't forget this. Forget, forget here. Just be generous. Be generous with your time this week. When you have an opportunity to help somebody, go help them. When you have an opportunity to, 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 to give to somebody that you know is struggling, give to them. In other words, look at it from the perspective of, I'm going to put God first and let God take care of some of the other stuff. You know, I was in a situation, this is a situation a couple weeks ago, and I could shoot myself now, but, uh, you know, I... I, I it was a situation where I wanted to give towards something, and I went to my wallet, and I didn't have what I wanted to give, and I had a little bit less. And so I, I, instead of what I should have done is I should have taken all of it out of my, money, of my wallet and put it in there. But I, like you, what do I do? I've got to have just a little, you know. I, I mean, McDonald's could be calling this week, you know. And I look back, and I'm like, why didn't you just take all of it and just throw it in the, in, in the plate thing? It would have been such a better investment than whatever. I think I still have the cash in my wallet. You know, I didn't need it, you know, for what I thought I was going to need it for. And it's just one of those things where I, I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to really learn to trust God. And some of you are struggling business-wise, and, and, and that's a big thing. And some of you are struggling. Some of you younger kids are struggling, with, or some of you older people even, struggling with the whole dating thing. Trust God here. Some of you are struggling with this, this issue of, uh, of time and worship and, and making Sunday a priority. Do it. Some of you are struggling with the idea of being generous this week. And for those of you who retired, you understand that you are at a fortunate position in this world where your money needs are taken care of, where you no longer have to work, but God has given you an extra abundant resource of time don't use it on yourself all week. There are too many people who you can minister to and encourage and have a part in their life, and that will last far longer than your time in this world. And I just want to challenge you this week. Israel decided to get serious with God, and when they did, they started with the marriages, they looked at the business, they looked at the worship, they looked at the money, and they said, all right, God, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do, and if we don't do it, 
take us out. Don't give us a second chance, take us out. They were that serious. So I end this morning with this. It is important for God's word to be the ultimate authority of our life, our faith, and our practice. It requires that we live differently from the world so that people see Christ in us and desire to know our Christ. It also means that we trust God in all areas of our life. Our marriages, our business, our money, our worship, they have to reflect Christ so that people see Christ and not us. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, it's easy to get caught up in this world and its system and the way that we think and the way that we function. But Lord, it's important also that we're serious about you. So Lord, for some who have not made your word the final authority in their lives, would you help them understand the importance of that? For all of us, Lord, may you help us to trust more. Lord, we trust you for our eternal security. We trust you for our eternal destiny. Help us to trust you in the, the things of life that we deal with every single day. And Lord, when it is all said and done, as the world around us looks at us, may they see Christ. May they see us doing it differently because it honors you. And may they see you in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and we're going to sing first verse, Lamb of Glory. Let's stand together as we sing.